Good morning, church. It is great to be with you. Uh, Pastor Larry is on vacation this week, so I am filling in for him, and I'm grateful to to be here to help out and to to be with you in worship. Um, let's begin our service with some opening words from our liturgy. Welcome to Shade Tree Community Church. For those struggling to see the image of God within themselves, for those who have been excluded and ostracized, for those who didn't know they had a place in a faith community, join us under the shade tree and find rest for your souls. We are an open, affirming, and inclusive community seeking to understand that life is a gift, love is the point, and we all have our part in being a beneficial presence in our world. Let's worship together. Good morning, church friends. I hope that you've had a wonderful week and had some time to play outside this week. We've had some good days, although we have had some rainy days. Our affirmation for this week has to deal with kindness. We're going to talk about kindness this week and next week and all the different ways that we can be kind to one another. Our affirmation for this week is the whole world is home and we are a divine family, which is a really neat idea. Your best friend is your family. The neighbor across the street is your family. A person who lives in Asia or India, those people are your family too. I want you to think of a time in your life when someone has been really kind to you and showed you a lot of kindness. Tell me how you felt before they were kind, what they did, and then after they were kind. How did you feel? When someone does something nice for me or is kind to me, maybe I can start off feeling a little bleh, normal, and then after they do something kind, I kind of feel more filled up. Do you? Now I want you to think about a time that you were kind to somebody else. How did it make you feel after? How do you think it made them feel? All those good feelings show us how important it is to be kind to other people and how we're all connected to one another. There's a really cool book that I want you to look into this week and it's called The Invisible String. And it talks about how we all have these invisible strings and they're all connected to everybody we know and some people we don't even know. And they're connected forever. And that's why it's important to keep those connections strong. I wanna read you a Bible verse, okay? This is in Galatians, the book of Galatians, and it's 3, 26 through 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter if we're a boy or we're a girl or we're trans. It, none of those things matter. What matters is that we're all humans, which means, remember, we're made in the divine image. There's another woman that talked a whole lot in her life about kindness and being kind to others, and she actually ded dedicated her whole life to it. Her name is Mother Teresa, and you can talk to your adults more about her, but this is what she says. She says, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. So what that means is it can be really easy to be kind, sometimes not. But it can be really easy to kind, but people hold those kind things you say to them in their hearts forever. So I want you to think about what kindness means. And I think sometimes it's easier to be kind to people that we really love, that we're really connected with. But that doesn't mean we stop there. Our jobs on this earth are to work really, really super hard to be kind to everybody we come in contact with. And if we remember that we really all are in the same family and we have those invisible strings to everyone in the whole world, Maybe that can help make us more kind. Okay, 
Now I wanna play a little game with you before we close. I'm gonna give you a couple different scenarios, a couple different situations, and I want you to think how you can respond kindly in those situations. So there's a classmate at school, and that classmate is being teased because of a new haircut. How could you respond with kindness? Maybe you're with your mom or your dad or your grown up and they're at the grocery store and the person behind you is really, really grumpy and they want it to go faster. How could you respond with kindness? Maybe your brother or your sister is angry and upset because they can't find their favorite toy. How can you be kind? And lastly, let's imagine that someone pushes you out of the way while rushing down the hall at school. How can you respond with kindness? That one's a little bit harder because when people hurt us, sometimes we want to hurt them back. And it's okay to feel that way, but we have to make sure that our actions or our behaviors are still kind. Okay, church friends, I want you to think about all the ways that we talked about kindness today and maybe what kindness means to you. I want you to think about over this weekend and over the next week, ways in which other people have been kind to you and how you can be kind to others. Remember, we're all in the same divine family. All right, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Bye, church friends. This morning, I'd like to start our call to worship with uh, reading these words with you. As we gather together, let us take a moment to calm our hearts and our minds. Take a moment to close your eyes, collect your thoughts, and find your breath. Seek out the voice of God in whatever way you find it best and spend a moment with that voice. Thank the voice for all you are grateful for and ask for help for the things you can't do alone. Ask the voice for permission to forgive yourself for your failures and the strength to ask for forgiveness to others you have wronged. As we continue with our time together, remember to come back to this voice and to listen, to meditate, and to learn. Now let's sing together.
perfect love You rescued me so I could stand and sing I am a child of God You split the sea so I could walk right through it My fears were drowned in perfect love you rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm no longer child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Tanir's sermon is about uh, Cain and Abel and the story, what, what happens with them, the brothers. And I wanted to read a passage from Proverbs. I think it's going to connect a lot to what we read in Cain and Abel's story. So follow along with me, if you will. This is from Proverbs 1, 8 through 16. It's also in your liturgy. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. Come, let us worship our Lord. Come, let us lives be restored. God has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how God's love overcomes. God has done great things. God has done great things. Oh, he 
years ago I was doing a youth group lesson on Genesis as part of a story about the big narrative of the Bible and I gave a new perspective to my students about the creation story that maybe it's not meant to be taken literally and Adam and Eve may be mythological figures meant to help us understand the world rather than a true story of how God things God did things in the beginning. Uh, most of my students had never heard this perspective before and one was particularly pretty upset that the creation story wasn't real. Um, so from that moment on, the rest of her time in youth group, if we were reading a story from the Bible, she had to ask me if this was a real story or not. Um, I can confirm that today we are not reading a real part of the Bible yet, uh, but it's still very much a true part of the Bible, which is different. It's true because of what the story conveys and teaches us about ourselves in the world, but the facts of the story are very suspect. It's been a while since I read the Cain and Abel story. It's been a few years, in fact. So I, as I read, I wrote down some questions that came up in the text. Uh, let me know if you guys had any of the same questions. So how did Cain and Abel know to make sacrifices to God in the first place? And why didn't God like Cain's sacrifice? It was even vegetarian. And where did Cain's wife come from? How did Cain build a city by himself, and how was it populated? Why follow this story with a bunch of names and ages of people after this in chapter 5? These plot holes make the story read more like a parable or a fairy tale than a historical story. The random appearance of Cain's wife, the conversation between God and Cain, how Cain just builds a city with no explanation, it all reads like a campfire story. 
And that's because it was. We often approach the Bible with our modern lens, which connects truth to reality. And that does a lot of harm for when we read the Bible. Over the years, scholars and pastors have used a lot of mental gymnastics when they interpret the Bible literally. They have to make loopholes and special exceptions in order for the story to make sense to modern readers. But it's so much easier to just admit that there's no way that this story could have actually happened. It frees us to read the text in a more honest way. Remember from last week, Larry taught us that Adam and Eve's story was meant to mirror the, na the nation of Israel, and the same goes here. Our American folklore, like Paul Bunyan or Johnny Appleseed, are called tall tales because they're intentionally exaggerated to show how heroic the individual is. The Jewish myth, myths that we're reading are meant to parallel the national identity and has flawed characters that make mistakes in order to help the community be better. Almost an example of what not to do. Cain and Abel show the failure of disobedience and what happens when you choose death over life. So why the sacrifices? Why are they doing this in the beginning? And why is one better than the other? We have to remember this story wasn't happening. It wasn't, wasn't being written down as it was happening. It was written well into the practice of making sacrifices to God was occurring later on in Israel history. It was included to almost prove its Jewishness. If we compare it to modern day, it's like showing someone a movie, so showing someone that, uh, that a character in a movie is American by having them play football. You just assume that because they're playing football, they're American. Well, we assume that the story is Jewish because Cain and Abel were making sacrifices. So how did Cain and Abel know to make sacrifices? Because the story needed them to make sacrifices in order to show the difference between them. And so was why, why was one sacrifice accepted and the other wasn't? It has to do with what kind of sacrifices God asked the Israelites to give. In both Exodus and Leviticus, there are rules about providing the first fruits of the harvest or firstborn of the flock as sacrifices to show that you are reliant on God for providing for you. You give God the first thing you harvest rather than eat it or store it right away, which makes a lot of sense as a reminder for obedience and trust, because if you start a garden, how exciting is it when you get those first fruits or vegetables right out of the ground and you want to try it right away, make sure it tastes good. But, but sacrificing it is showing that you are trusting God to provide more for you from your garden, that you're not just going to get these first fruits. It's symbolic, and it's, it's meant to symbolize your trust in God. The difference with Cain and Abel's sacrifice is right here in verses 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Cain didn't bring the first harvests. He didn't bring what was required and therefore showed his lack of trust in God. Let's move to verse 6 and 7, showing God confronting Cain on his anger. What should be noted, the anger isn't the sin here. Anger is not a sin, it's an emotion. And it's not even a primary emotion, it's a secondary emotion. We're angry because we're hurt. We're angry because we're scared. We're angry because we're humiliated or frustrated. Um, or in Cain's case, he's angry because he's rejected or jealous. Cain's anger isn't his sin. It's what he did with his anger that led him to sin. So really, Cain's first sin isn't murder, and it's definitely not his anger. It's his disobedience to sacrifice laws and not trusting God with his harvest. And his punishment is severe. He can't do anything that he's good at anymore. He's not allowed to, to till the ground. Verse 12 says, When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. 
you'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, which makes sense because that deals with his crime. His crime and punishment fit each other. If it was about the murder, then he wouldn't be allowed to be around people anymore. But that's not what it is. It's about the ground and it's about the sacrifices that he made. Cain is cast out from God and sent to wander the earth, where he finds a miracle woman to marry that isn't his sister, because this is a folktale, and starts a family. Just like his parents, Cain is cast out and made to live outside of his known community, which reminds the early listeners of the story of Israel's exile from Jerusalem and its wandering. But instead of wandering, Cain builds a city for his son. But why build a city? And who lives in this city? In the ancient world, the listeners of the story would see what Cain was doing wrong. Building cities is what the gods do. And Cain stopped wandering in order to set himself up as a god. He was punished to go wander the earth, and in that wandering, he was protected from harm. Yet he doesn't trust God enough to do this and stops to build something he isn't meant to build. Cain's story continues through his great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, who was a polygamous murderer. This section, verses 17 through 24, follows Cain's family tree to show that although he was Adam's firstborn son, he and his descendants won't hold the family blessing. Cain's mirroring of Israel shows us what happens when you are cut off from God. It affects generations. So now the story shifts back to Adam and how he and Eve restarted their family with Seth. And we can see that this is a family tree that we're meant to follow. Verse 26 says, At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord, which is kind of a sign that things are going in the right direction, that this is the story we're meant to follow. And what a great reminder it is to us that the family blessing that, so is, that is so important to some doesn't have to come from the firstborn child. Families are messy and complicated, and this prototype first family is, is an example of very messy. If you're reading along with us and you got to chapter 5, how many of you honestly skipped, or at least skimmed this chapter, raise your hands, who didn't read chapter 5 because it's all genealogies? Biblical genealogies are not the most inspiring reads. But just as everything we've read so far, it's there for a reason. And now we get to ask why. First, let's look at these names and compare them to the list of Cain's descendants in the previous chapter. Here, I'll put it on the screen. So we've got Cain, Enoch, Erad, Mahujael, Methushael, and Lamech. And Seth's side has Enos, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, and Lamech. Do you see how the names are connected? Cain is connected to Kenan or Canaan. Enoch follows Enoch as well. Elrad sounds like Jared or Jared. Mahujahel is Mahalalel. The names are very, very similar, and it, that's intentional. They're not always exactly the same order, but there's lots of similarities. This is intentional. It's meant to show us something, to teach us something about Cain's disobedience versus Seth's obedience. Genealogies are important to biblical authors and most people in ancient times. It connects them to their ancestors, to their heritage, and it connects them to God. If you can trace your roots back to the first human, then you know that your family is on the right track as obedient followers of God. And what about the crazy long lives that these people lived? Most of them over 900 years? And if you do the math, which I did, uh, you found that Adam actually lived long enough to see Lamech born, which is his sixth great-grandchild. This, again, was very intentional. Some scholars 
have taken this story and calculated backwards to decipher the age of the earth based on the ages of these patriarchs. There's an Angl Anglican bishop from the 17th century, James Usher, who did this, and he came up that the earth was created on Sunday, October 23rd, 4004 BCE, which we know is kind of crazy and impossible because there are man-made structures older than that in Europe and the Middle East. The point of the genealogies isn't to give us an accurate date and time, just like the creation story. It's meant to remind us, the, us and the Israelites, of who they are and who we are. Just like there are similar creation stories as the ones we find in Genesis and other ancient Eastern cultures, there are long lists of genealogies and reigns of kings in other cultures. The Sumerians had a list of their kings that had some reigns as long as 43,000 years. And this is intentional. It's meant to show that these kings were great and they ruled for a really long time. It's not meant to be historically accurate. They didn't care about numbers and dates like we do. And both the Genesis genealogies and the Sumerian kings had something very much in common. The length of lifespans drastically shortened after a global flood. Something to think about for next week. So what's the point of all this? If nothing in the beginning of the Bible is meant to be taken literally, and almost always points to something else, what are we supposed to do with it? Just like my youth group student said, is this a true story? Well, it's still true. It's just not meant to be read literally. If this it is an account of the actual creation of the world, why do we even read it if it's not true? It's very true, even if it's not factual. It was written down after years and years of being told orally, either around a campfire or as a story to pass the time in order to keep the history of a certain group of people alive and distinct from their neighbors. The Israelites, like all ancient cultures of their day, and just like us today, were trying to make sense of the world around them. They created myths and legends and heroes and villains in order to create, to help build their culture, to inspire and to scare their children, to create identity, and to remind them who is truly in control of it all. Creation isn't a scary story of angry gods warring and knocking into things. It's a story of a loving divinity who creates humanity out of love, not to fear and to cower from it. Cain and Abel isn't a story about murder and lying. It's a story about trusting God and not giving into your anger. There's still so much truth in these chapters, just as much as if we read Aesop's fables or Jesus's parables. They can inspire us, encourage us, and help keep us close to our Creator. I wanted to end today with a song, um, but I can't actually show the video here in the sermon because it's a pretty big band and we'll get flagged for copyright. Um, the song is called Trouble in Town, and it's about the violence against minorities in our country. There's a music video that has some great visuals, but I added a link to the lyric video in the description of, uh, of this video because I wanted you to really meditate on what the uh, artist is trying to say. Think about these words and how they connect to the violence we see in the Bible, especially in these first few chapters, and the violence we see in our world today. And then remember how much work we have left to do. Thanks for joining with me today. Uh, thanks for being with us. Um, I hope you have a great week, and God bless.